On June 29th, 2007, the first iPhone came out, and I guess it kind of changed the world or something. I don't know, but I, I don't remember how you felt when you first saw it, but I thought it was a, a, a pretty crazy thing, but because before that, if you remember, when we had phones, we just had kind of lame screens with dumb phones, and you could like play Snake on them or something, but there wasn't like a lot of functionality there. And the iPhone comes out, and here's this screen that you can like touch and move all the things around. And uh, I, I didn't understand how it works. To me, it was like pure wizardry that they could do something like that. I still don't quite fully understand it. There's, there's science involved, but it's, it's, it's really cool to see what they did. And uh, I, I thought it was like this, this genius thing that sort of, sort of changed the world. And then if you've noticed, Apple over the years, as they come out with a new iPhone, I think they've struggled a little bit to articulate to us why you need to buy the new one. We later found out that they were making our old ones break, so we would have to buy new ones. But, but, but they come out, you know, every, every year or two, whatever, they come out with a new one, and they're like, iPhone 3, iPhone 4, and if you remember this, iPhone 5, they come out, and they would run these ads about the new iPhone, and they would say things like, we've rethought everything. Like, it's all changed. It's a totally new world of the iPhone, and this is going to be everything. It does these things. It's so incredible, Right. And, like, there's only so much you can say. Like, once you say that the thing is, like, magical, where do you go for magical? Once you say you've rethought everything, where do we go next time you come out with one? So they keep cranking these things out, and now we're up to, what are we up to, 8 or X? Is X the latest one that they had come out with? Now we've, we've left the numbering system or something. I don't know. Is that, are we going to do Roman numerals from here on out? Or, or is, is the next iPhone going to be iPhone, and then you make, like, a clicking noise or something? I don't know, I don't know how it's going to work. Um, but it seems to be a challenge for them to come out and, and, and say, no, this thing is really new and special and different. And I thought about that as I thought about this series, Area 10 2.0, because we're coming up here on our 10th anniversary, and I want to roll out some, some fresh vision to you of, of who we are and, and, and where we're going. But the, the trick there is like, I can't exactly stand up here and be like, church, guys, this is brand new. We have rethought everything. It's like, no, we haven't. In fact, this has been going on for like 2,000 years. And, and also, if I say church to you, you're like, I know what church is. I, I got it. I used to go to church growing up. We would go there for weddings. Sometimes we'd go there and someone had died and they were in the front in a casket. I've been there. We did the Easter thing. Uh, I get it. That's church. So when I say church, it's all new. We've rethought everything. You're like, oh, that's, that's not okay. Um, that's kind of weird. But, but what I want to tell you is... Um, we have not rethought everything, but we have spent some time, over, the, especially over the last year, rethinking through how Area 10 expresses itself uh, in our community going forward. We have been something for the last 10 years, and, and where are we going? Because we asked the question about a year ago, we started asking the question, look, if, if we started the church today, would we say things exactly the way we said them 10 years ago? And we were like, no, I mean, I think some of the values are the same and the heart is the same, but some things have shifted over the years in the way we want to express it. So we took this 10-year anniversary as an opportunity to update the way we say what we say and, and how we talk about what we're about. So what I want to do over, you got a little card, it's like black and white, and it's got sort of vision and value stuff on it. I want to talk you through that over the next couple weeks and, and give you a sense of like, all right, who are we? And what I'm going to express to you is the communal values that, are, that sort of articulate, this is Area 10, this is who we are. Um, and, and, and hopefully that's helpful to you to understand, okay, this is my church, this is what it means. 
But also, I think it's going to be helpful for you personally as you see, like, okay, where, where, do, I, where do I line up with those things? And, and I hope throughout this series there's going to be some things that challenge you personally of, like, okay, what do I want to do and what do I want to be a part of um, with this community. So I want to roll out to you. We'll start with the mission of the church, and then we'll talk vision and values. The mission of this church is really the same mission of every church of Jesus Christ in the history of ever. Um, that's not changing. That's not going to change. And, it, and it's maybe best seen in the words Jesus leaves with his closest followers before he leaves the earth in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I want to put it up on the screen for you. It says this, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. He gives these marching orders. Here's what you need to do. Go to the ends of the earth, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to follow after and make disciples. So the church, any church that's following Jesus, is really, this is what we're about. We're about making disciples of all nations. Primarily for us, that's going to happen in the city of Richmond, but then also we're going to extend out in the region and across the globe. We want to make more disciples. We want to see more people get connected to God through Jesus Christ. That is what we have been doing for 10 years. That's not going to change. That's just who we are. But God has given us leeway to express that that mission within a kind of a local vision that we have for for Richmond. And and we've we've said it in maybe a different way in the past, but we've also kind of used some of this language here. And so I I just want to kind of, we've worked together to put this into a clean, concise phrase. And this is what we're saying, transforming lives in the city for the city. This is what Area 10 does. We're here to transform lives in the city for the city. Now, transformation is an important word there because we believe, and we'll talk about this more next Sunday, but we believe that God works us and reshapes us and makes us become something. He is transforming us. And so we want to be In that process, we want to be a part of that as a church, and we want to see people come and change and grow and and become all of God who who God is calling them to be. And so we're we're excited about that. I wanted that word to be in there somehow, transforming lives. This is what we're about. But then the next question is like, well, where and why? Well, so we say in the city, transforming lives in the city. Now, let me explain the Area 10 thing, because every now and then someone will say to me, Area 10, like, what does that mean? Is that in the Bible? Or is that like something to do with you know, UFOs in New Mexico or something like that. And we're like, no, okay, Area 10 is on a real estate map of Richmond. They divide up the, the whole region by areas. And, and Area 10 is um, a, a part of the, of the city that is starts here in Carytown, in the western edge of it, goes through Churchill, south to the James River, and north to I-64. So if you can imagine that kind of long oval shape, that is Area 10 on a real estate map. Um, and, and so we said, okay, we want to be a church in the heart of the city. We'll just call it Area 10, plus no one's got that web address, area10church.com. That'll be easy to get. Uh, so, so, so here we are. We're, we're a church focused on the city. That means we're, we're about life transformation here in the city, helping people come to know Christ here in the city. A lot of our work projects that we're going to do, a lot of the ways we serve the city are happening in that space. This doesn't mean we'll never be outside of that space. It doesn't mean we don't also care about the region. For Richmond really to function well, it needs good regional cooperation. And it doesn't mean that everyone who goes to our church lives in that area. Some of you do, some of you don't. It's not required, oh, if I'm part of Area 10, I have to live in Area 10. No, you don't have to live in the city. You just have to love the city. You have to love the city. And what I've loved about this church over the years is that this is a group of people that loves the city. 
Even if you live right there or not, uh, you're, you're part of it, and, and you want to see this place grow and flourish. So we want to be about transforming lives in the city for the city. We have, we have said um, we don't want to be the best church in the city. We want to be the best church for the city. We want Richmond to uh, be glad that this community is doing what it is and loving and serving this place. So within that, then, there are value statements. We have seven of them that express kind of the... the the, the, the core values of, of this community. And we've expressed them different ways over the years and, and we've kind of reworked them to, to say this. And, and I want to go through these with you today. First of all, is number one is this. And we're just going to do two of them today. So if you're looking at that list of seven, you're like, this is going to be a long sermon. It's just two of them. Number one, central truths unite us. Central truths unite us. This church is part of a unity movement. Um, let me give you a little quick church history lesson here. The Protestant Reformation happened in 1517. At that point, Martin Luther tried to reform the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church sort of fragmented there, and new, new parts were, uh, were formed, and new denominations were formed. Before that, you had the Orthodox Church in the East, and then the Catholic Church. That's basically Christianity. Uh, after that, though, uh, denominations started to happen. The reformers continued to reform. New groups formed, and then new groups formed out of the new groups, and new groups formed out of that to where there used to be just maybe two denominations of Christianity, now there are 33,000 uh, worldwide, which is incredible, and always more being formed all the time when people can't get along, and they say, fine, I'm going to go start my own group. So there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of uh, mess there in a lot of ways. Um, the Christian church that we are part of, the so people say to me, like, well, what is Area 10? And I'm like, it's a Christian church. Oh, yeah, well, like, what kind? I'm like, the Christian kind? The... The ones where we follow Jesus Christ? I don't know. Because uh, if you say you're the church of Jesus Christ, that sounds like Latter-day Saints, and that becomes a different thing. It's like, it's really confusing, right? So you just say, we're Christians. People go, but what they mean is, are you Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian? And they start naming all the things. I'm like, no, no, no we're, we're just Christians. That started in, the, in America in the, 1800, in the 1800s. There were a group of people from Kentucky and eastward uh, into the Northeast who were saying, let's stop being all those other things. Let's just be Christians. And they had slogans like, we're not the only Christians, we're just Christians only. That was a group called the Restoration Movement that they said, hey, we want to start getting back to this biblical New Testament thing of we're just followers of Jesus and we're going to keep it simple. And so we're, we're a child of that kind of movement. We're saying, hey, we're just Christians. We're just trying to follow Jesus the best we can, read the scripture. We're not making people sign off on all these other statements in order to, to fit in or whatever. We're just trying to keep it as simple as we can, follow the scriptures and get to know Christ who is revealed in those scriptures and keep the main thing the main thing. Now, we are going to disagree on a lot of things in this church, but we can still be together and unified as a family. Um, if, I, if, I, if you take issues on science and creation, evolution, and you take issues on sexuality or identity, or you take issues, um, uh, political things and, and all sorts of stuff, if you, if you ask five people in this room what are their opinions on those, you're going to get like seven answers. Because like some people don't know, and they're going to give you multiple, you know, like we have, we have views on that. And I will teach what I believe the scripture says on, on all sorts of topics. But the, a lot of that stuff is periphery. We want to stay united around the central stuff. Now, the central truth, we list on our website a statement of beliefs, and it is basic Orthodox Christianity that has existed for a couple thousand years of, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, um, uh, stuff about salvation, what's the nature of the church, heaven, hell, all that stuff. We, we, 
we sign off on and believe those central things uh, that, that this is what we're about. Um, and then we let some of those other things go to the periphery um, because they're not, they're not central. Uh, the Apostle Paul planted a bunch of churches around the Mediterranean. One of the churches he planted was in the city of Corinth. And he wrote two letters to the city of Corinth that we have recorded in the New Testament. And they were dealing with the Corinth, as you read those letters, they were dealing with some pretty crazy stuff. And so Paul's trying to help that church deal with all its wackiness. And he, and he drives them in 1 Corinthians 15 to the central truth. Here's the uniting stuff for them. 1 Corinthians 15, I want to put it up on the screen. He says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul says, hey, I know there's a lot of stuff going on. This is at the end of the letter. I know we've dealt with a lot of things here. But let me just give you this. Here's uh, first importance. Let me give you the, the main central truth of our faith. And he says, Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine. He was buried. And then he came back from the dead. He goes to heaven. And then we give our lives by faith, by his grace, through faith. We give our lives to him. We are baptized into him. And then we go to heaven also with him when we die. We start living in a new kingdom, a new life here on earth. That's the central stuff. That is the heart of Christianity. That is what we have taught at this church for 10 years. That is what we will continue to keep teaching. That is, that is keeping the main thing, the main thing. And he says, look, people, Jesus came back from the dead. He appeared to, and he lists people that he appeared to, and he said there's 500 other people. Uh, Paul's basically saying, if you don't think Jesus came back from the dead, go ask some of these people because they're still alive. They saw him. Like He's like, go, go check it out. It really did happen. The resurrection. And then he continues on in, in, in verse 12 talking about the resurrection. Listen to what he says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And he's like, how would you believe that? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. If, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen to this, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we must hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's basically saying, look, if there's no such thing as resurrection, then even Jesus didn't come back from the dead. And if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, our faith is a big waste of time. In fact, you should pity us for going to church and being involved and getting all into the God thing if the Jesus thing didn't really happen. That is the hinge on which all of Christianity goes. It's not on Jesus' teachings. It's that, you know, I think Tommy pointed out, some of Jesus' teachings come from other rabbis around. It's not like, oh man, no one's ever heard that before. It wasn't so radical just that he taught some things. What was radical is the dude died, and then a couple days later, he wasn't dead anymore. Literally dead and then not dead. They were having breakfast with him a few days later. 
That's the hinge of the thing. That is the central truth of Christianity. That's what we're still proclaiming thousands of years later. That's why we even gather as a church. That's why we do. I mean, if you want to get together and talk about wise things ancient people have said, we could do that all day. We could do that about all sorts of things. But that's not a church. The church is this movement of God that is, that is built around the historical event of Christ dying and coming back from, from the dead. That's, that's the central thing for us. And when we have faith in him, we're baptized into him, we give our lives to him, and we will live with him forever. Jesus has adopted us into his family. Now, one way to think about this, we've kind of come, come across this over the last couple of years. One of the ways to think about our values and the things we believe in, these central truths versus peripheral stuff, is to think about as a unity movement, as a, as a church that values um, unity in, in the body of Christ, uh, is to think about sheep in a pen. If you think about sheep in a pen, uh, sheep, the only reason those sheep are together is because there's fences around them. And in a lot of churches, and a lot of organizations, not just churches, the reason the organization exists is because there are fences around it. Once you cross that fence, you are on the outside. And so a lot of churches will say, all right, here's this catechism, here's this statement, sign off here, check here, check here. Those are the fences. As long as you're within those, we're good. Or churches will have like some unspoken fences for people that keep insiders in and outsiders out. Like, like for some churches, an unspoken fence is like you have to dress up to be here. Like if you don't wear a tie, you don't belong, right? You've probably been a part or maybe seen a, a church like that. And so we have, we have some, you know, you have to be this socioeconomic status to fit in here. And so we don't want to build fences around people to say this is why we're all together because we, if we try to get apart, we're going to run into a fence. Um, I think a better model, a better image is like animals around an oasis. They're all close together, but the reason they're close together is not because someone drew hard lines around them. The reason they're close together is because they want to be near the water source. And it's like, hey, I'm going to be near the water, and therefore I'm going to be near you. And, and in the church, I would say, the water source is Jesus himself. He is the living water. He's the one we want to be near, and he's the one we're going to look at, follow. I want to point you to. And as we are all close to him, we are going to naturally grow closer to one another. And, and I don't know at what point you, you wander off because there's not a fence drawn around you. Maybe you could go on or far off, but the idea is, that, hey, let's all stay together around the main thing and let Christ uh, nourish us and let's all grow uh, around, those, around those central truths. And we are all here together and we're near each other as a family because Christ has made us family. He is the son of God and he has adopted us into his family. So number one, central truths unite us and, and, and bring us together. Um, and then here's the second one I want to cover today is this. Worshiping restores us. Why do you come to church on a Sunday morning? You think about it because there's plenty of people in town that are doing this all over the place. And then there's a lot of people who just aren't, right? That are like, nah, I'd rather wash my car. I'd rather watch NFL pregame. I'd rather... Oh, I haven't been able to say NFL pregame in a long time. It feels good. It felt good coming out of my mouth. Um, there's a lot of people uh, that, that aren't into this. So why are you here? Well, I bet if I pulled the room and said, why do you come to church? There's all sorts of reasons. For some people, it's tradition. It's a habit. It's I've always gone to church. My parents, when I go, that's, that's my thing. For some people, you say, I learned something when I'm here. 
It helps me grow. For some people, they say it helps me think about what my priorities need to be. Some people would say, I want to meet a husband or a wife here, like a spouse. I want to find someone. I want to find someone to date here. Um, I, something really bad happened. I lost this friend to cancer, and that made me think about bigger things, and so I found myself in a church. Some people are like, I was hoping a movie was playing, and I've been disappointed every Sunday that there's no movie. You know, like, there's all sorts of reasons why you might be in this room right now, and it's not bad. That's fine. That's fine. Um, here's what I think is going on here at, as, as a church as we gather. Um, it goes back to Acts chapter 2 when the church started around 27 AD or so. When the church started, the, the church gathered, um, and we get this description in the book of Acts, which is a history book in the New Testament. We get this description of how the early church functioned. Because I, I always want to look at that and say, how are we doing on that? Is that the thing? Not how are we doing compared to our, our grandpa's church or the last hundred years in America or something? How are we doing compared to this? Listen to what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church, when they got together, they were, one, doing it every day, which we don't, right? But we, we do get small groups that are launching this week. So you, you can meet here, and then you can meet in someone's house on a Wednesday night. There are people having coffee. There are meditation groups happening and coming up in the mornings. There are classes. There are different ways that we can meet. But this group was meeting every day. And what were they doing? Breaking bread, so we take communion together is a, a version of that. They were having some sort of meal. Uh, they were praying together. They were uh, fellowshipping, getting to know one another, and they were uh, enjoying the apostles' teaching, so they were being taught the word of God when they, when they got together. And so we can sum all of that up and say, when we gather together, when we worship together, this restores us when we come together on a Sunday morning. Here's what I mean by that. Life is hard, and things get crazy. And I love what Amber said this morning. Sometimes you're just standing there in the rubble, and things can be a mess. And so the point of, or one of the points of when we gather together is when we come in here, we set all of that aside for a minute, and we remember the central truths. We remember the divine truth. We remember what God has revealed to us. We remember and remind ourselves who we are. When we come together, we encourage each other and remind each other that we're not crazy that there's something greater here than the stuff because all it takes for me is one pass through my social media feed for me to think the world is going to hell and it's just a big mess, right? Or to think I'm, they're crazy, I'm crazy, everyone's crazy. There's news, fake news, I don't even know what's news anymore. Like it gets, it gets weird out there. And when we come together, it restores us. It reminds us of the truth. This is why we open the Bible. We read the scripture, not some dusty, old, irrelevant book, but we go into this old book to say, how does this apply to us today? Why does it matter? What has Jesus revealed to us in the scripture? What is God telling us about who we are and our purpose, our identity, our purpose? What are we made for? This stuff is found in the scripture. Yes, it's thousands of years old, but that's a good thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm done trying to you know, figure out what, what is hot right now. We, uh, we come together and we're reminded of these central truths. That's why we teach the Bible here. That's why we're, we've done it for 10 years. We're always going to do it. If we stop teaching the Bible, we stop 
functioning actually as a church. We just become like a social club that like occasionally mentions Jesus or something. No, we're, we're, we're going to uh, align ourselves with the scripture. Even when it's challenging to our contemporary culture, we're going we're gonna to stand there with it. It's also why we sing. When we get together to sing, it is not a performance. It is not these folks up here are performing for you. This isn't like a concert. If anything, you're performing for God. You are singing to him. That's why we put words on the screen so you can sing along. Now, you might be like, I'm not a good singer. It's okay. This is a chance to engage the whole body and not be a passive participant in our gathering, but to engage the thing and say, I'm going to sing. I'm going to lift up my voice. I'm going to engage the body and, and, and express praise to my creator and thank him for what he's done or express lament when I need to, express frustration when I need to. But music is so helpful there. Music can take truth, and when you add a melody to it, that truth can lodge in your head. I've had times in my own life when I'm frustrated with something and the lyrics of a worship song that we sing in this room come to me like, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's true. Um, it, it can be a powerful thing. When we gather, we always take communion. If I'm not preaching about the cross uh, each week, I know we're going to talk about it because we're going to talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And we always take the bread and tearing off a little piece of that bread reminds us that we're part of a larger thing. We're part of a larger body, not just this group and the people who are in first service and A10 kids and all of that, but we're part of the whole body of Christ around Richmond and around the world. We are part of something greater than us. And in communion, we remember that connection. We remember our sin. We remember that Jesus died for us. So no matter what I'm talking about, I know we will end up talking about, about that when we get together. And that's a great thing. And, I, and, and so all of that, um, I would say, is, is under the idea of worshiping restores us. That's why, we, that's why we come together. Now, there are some statistics out there that are pointing to a decline in church attendance in America. And I don't mean less people are going to church, although that is true in America. But actually, the people who are going just go less often. That's also very, very true. Um, so if you went back a couple decades, if someone said, I go to church or I'm a part of a church, actually, people used to say, this is where I belong in a church. Now they say, this is what I go to. Um, but it, people would say, oh, I, people used to say, oh, I go to this church or I belong to this church. And, and for them, being a regular church person meant that they were at church three or four Sundays a month. Now the people who claim to be regular church people are at church like once or twice a month in the gathering. And you go, okay, no big deal. You know, there's a lot going on, and is, is, is that a problem? Well, there's something to it, and, it, and it's subtle, that, that shift. It's not something you notice immediately because it's really the consistency of being involved where the growth happens. The Chan Public School of Health at Harvard did a study a few years back on some public health indicators, and they found a strong correlation between church attendance and lower rates of depression, less likelihood for divorce, lower rate of suicide. If someone was really involved in a church, they had lower numbers on all of that stuff. And we could do this all day. I could show you all sorts of, 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 of numbers where there's a correlation. All that just to say is being part of a church regularly is actually good for your health not just good for your spirit or your faith or your thinking or whatever. There's just something in it that affects our health on, on so many levels. Now, I know there's exceptions. I know there's a pastor in California who committed suicide recently. That was all over social media, um, and that's sad, and that's, that's hard. But generally, I would say, um, if you want to be healthy, uh, one of the best things you could do is, is be involved in a church regularly. That's why 
When people say to me, hey, Chris, I can't come to Area 10 or I haven't been able to come, but I'm listening to the podcast, I'm like, man, that is so good. I'm glad we put that out there. I'm glad that if you couldn't be here and you're gone or whatever and you go, oh, let me listen to the podcast, I'm glad people can do that. That's great. Um, But I always think like, man, but you're missing something because church isn't just consuming content. It is actually living into community. And it's not just, oh, I heard what you said. Let me just go download that. Because, man, if you want podcasts, I'll give you a bunch. There's a lot of great content out there. But you've got to live into the community and get to know people and let them get to know you because that's, that's where the change is going to happen. That's where the transformation comes, not just from listening to something, but from applying and walking alongside people who are trying to apply the thing and, and grow. And I see that in the book of Acts. I see this community where they love and they serve and, they, and they're with each other and there's growth there and there's change and it's, and it's making a huge difference in the world. And it fires me up when I read about it in Acts and it makes me want to do everything I can to make sure Area 10 for the next 10 years and beyond is that kind of community. This is what I want it to be. Somewhere along the, church, along the way, the church loses its way Uh, The chaplain for the Senate years ago, Dick Halverson, he said it this way. He said, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. And I read that, and I thought, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I didn't sign up as a pastor when I hit my adulthood and going through college and becoming a pastor, I did not sign up for an enterprise. It's not what I wanted to do. Yes, you have to have money and you've got to pay the bills and there's, you know, there's all the business side of things for sure, but I don't want to spread this thing like an enterprise. Like I want to be a part of a movement of God that is fueled by the Spirit of God. And that's what I see in the New Testament. And that's what I see for Area 10. That's what I see. I've seen evidence of that over the last 10 years. And I just want to see more of that. Area 10 2.0 needs to be more of that, more of helping people find God, more people giving their lives to Christ and being baptized into him. Because people have issues, they have barriers, they have frustrations with the church, they got stuff that they got to work through, and I get that. And I want to help people take take the next steps. So no no matter where where you come from, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, here's what I want you to know about this church from this day forward, you belong here. You belong here. And I want us to say that clearly. I wanted to like shout it from the rooftops, but then I saw the Institute of Contemporary Art wrote it on their wall, and I'm like, that's not cool. Like, you're, you're, you're an art gallery, come on. Uh, but I believe, it about, I believe it about this space. Um, I believe that you belong here. And right now, you're gonna throw up a flag in your head of all the reasons why you don't belong here. You'll say, Chris, I don't belong here. You don't know what I've done. I've done this, this, and this. I messed up. I blew it this week. I have this in my past. I got this stuff going on in my life. There's no way, if this is a church about Jesus and God's stuff, there's no way I belong here. Yeah, you do. You belong here. Because whatever you're dealing with, whatever is the stuff, I promise you someone else in this room has done it too and has been in it before. You're among friends here. You can say, Chris, I don't belong here. I don't even know if I believe all this stuff. Like all the Jesus stuff, all the God stuff. Like I don't know. I'm just kind of here because my friend asked me to come here. I just don't know if I'm bought in. 
I feel like the church does, all da- does damage around the world. I don't know if I like this. Um, I'm, I'm not in. No, you, you belong here too. You can belong before you believe. It's okay. We want you to be at the table and, 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 and be involved with us. Chris, I've blown it so bad, I don't know if I belong here. No, you, you belong here. No matter who you are, where you come from, for the next decade, this church needs to double down on the idea that this is a place where it's going to be okay to not be okay, that, that, that this is going to be a place for the bad and the broken and the bored um, to, to find life and to find, to find Christ, a place for transformation where we can come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. We are changed and we grow and become all that God is calling us to be. There's a lot more to that. I need to lay that out for you over the next couple weeks. Um, we'll talk about it. I'm, I'm just excited because I think God is not nearly done with us yet, and there's a lot, there's a lot ahead of us. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for bringing us into the family, that through your death on the cross and your sacrifice and your resurrection, you made a way for us who are not your natural-born children, but you made a way for us to be adopted into your family. And I thank you for that spirit of adoption that's in us, uh, that we get to be family with you. And I pray that, um, that you, you, you write some new stories with Area 10, that you um, continue to bless and, and show us some, some new things going forward. Uh, God, I thank you for the central truths that we celebrate here. I thank you for the gathering where we are restored and we are reminded of, of those truths as we gather together. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.